Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to another edition of Cork Today. John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And I can already see people are sending in texts and uh, WhatsApps wishing the Cork teams all the very best at this weekend. So keep them coming and we'll try to mention as many of them as we can uh, throughout the weekend. But weather-wise, it really is a miserable day out there today. My suggestion is, particularly for the morning time, into early afternoon if you if you really don't need to go out don't go out because it's just horrible out there and I saw one of the first I think tweets I saw this morning online bright and early was from Cork Bio who were saying that when you pull back the curtains this morning it sort of looks like it's a November day out there and it really really does but let me bring you some good news from a weather point of view an Indian summer could be in store for us here in uh, Ireland. It's predicted we could be heading for a period of prolonged dry weather from early next week. Now we've got you know these heavy thundery downpours uh, today but it's going to become drier and warmer from tomorrow and the speculation of an Indian summer could be on the cards from next Monday. Met Erin are forecasting that it'll be mainly dry mainly settled conditions from next Monday until at least Thursday of next week and it is likely then that these conditions could continue into the further week uh, but at this stage there's a little bit of uncertainty about it and of course Met Aaron are always fearful of predicting too far ahead. They'll go about a week maybe to 10 days but they won't go any further than that but they are saying that the week of the following week August 27th through to September the 2nd Met Aaron are saying the most likely scenario at this stage is for this high pressure that comes in next week that will dominate at the beginning of the period before gradually moving away and weakening. Uh, They're saying that the weather conditions certainly across next week and hopefully into the following week will be warmer than usual for this period of time and it just it sort of, well I was delighted to think that the bit of sunshine is coming back but then I was thinking just as the children are going back to school isn't it kind of very typical back to school weather it's like during the exams we always get fine weather and generally speaking the children will head back into the classrooms and uh, the, the weather will change because traditionally over the last certainly over the last maybe 10 to 15 years am I right in saying that we have had some really nice Septembers 
and we've I've remembered some really nice September evenings, nice sunny days, and it kind of shortens the winter, doesn't it? If you get a good September, maybe dry as we head into October, but certainly it is looking like an Indian summer is on uh, the cards. So while that's an Indian summer on the cards, and uh, you know we're talking about the weather today, looking like it is November. If you're in any of our major uh, cities. Uh, yesterday and uh, today uh, you can turn your attention to Christmas because the first of the Christmas shops is open and the tradition always is the Brown Thomas I think traditionally they're always the first to get in there with their Christmas shops even though somebody when I heard yesterday they were opened yesterday somebody said they're actually a little bit later than they normally would uh, open but uh, Brown Thomas have opened their Christmas shops in Cork Limerick and uh, Galway and also their store on Grafton Street in uh, Dublin the director of Brown Thomas a lady by the name of Rachel Morgans said the opening opening up at this time of year she says it actually makes sense baubles and decorations are hugely popular from the beginning of the season and Christmas trees start to sell out by early November there's a kind of a bit of panic buying sets in then if you don't get your seven foot Christmas tree in time they'll all be uh, gone but I was reading in the mail this morning that Dermot Jewell who we've often spoken with on this programme head of the Consumer Association of Ireland he thinks it's all rather odd that Christmas shops should be opening in uh, August he also says the Brown Thomas are not the only one there's others I will be opening up sections of their shop and dedicating them to the festive season and Dermot Jewell says I just wish that there was a degree of consideration of how it impacts on the younger cohort of consumers who are looking forward to a particular man coming on a particular day at a particular time of the year and he thinks opening Christmas shops in August is just all a little bit odd. I welcome your views. Are you one of one of those who heads out and buys your baubles a little bit early? I mean we all like to I always like to try and buy some little new little bits of Christmas knocks, little new bits of baubles to put to the Christmas tree. I think we all like to do that and we all love the idea that we all have bits and pieces that we've been gathering over the years and have them for many, many years. But it's nice to add something new. But I just don't know it's August. Is it a little bit too early? Or are you one of those who, do, who who like to get out and get the best of the baubles and get the best choice? Or is a lot of it just browsing? You take a look at it and you can think about it and then maybe decide later on. But then, of course, Brown Thomas are saying if you wait too long, they will be all gone. 1850 333 Now, the Munster All-Ireland all Hurling Clash. It's kind of weird to actually say that, isn't it? A Munster All-Ireland Hurling Clash. Cork taking on uh, Limerick and it certainly does seem to have whetted the appetite of sports uh, fans and certainly across Cork City and County and it seems our neighbours in Limerick are telling us the same thing. Limerick is a wash of green and white and of course we hear in Cork there's lots of red and white ahead of Sunday's uh, Croke Park uh, showdown and the countdown is very much beginning and we'll be focusing in the second hour very much on the All-Ireland Finals. Lots and lots of pictures in all of the papers uh, today and I think every single newspaper is picking up on the meeting of our two first citizens the Lord Mayor of Cork and the Lord Mayor of Limerick. Both those boys have really got caught up in in the excitement and they're of course urging their fans to honour the traditional sportsmanship behind the old rivals. Our own Lord Mayor of Cork, Colm Kelleher and Limerick's Mayor Daniel Butler. They of course made headlines and that was that hilarious exchange of letters about the fate of the the Lee McCarthy Cup which I 
have to say was started by our own Cullum uh, Kelleher but both of the mayors met on the Cork Limerick County bounds yesterday for a friendly puck about and there's photographs of both of them both sporting their own county jerseys and Hurley's in hand and there's just this great 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 photographs and I think that's lovely I think that friendly rivalry that's there really is terrific the Lord Mayor of Cork Colm Keller says I'm calling on the people of Cork to show your support and celebrate our great hurling team by painting the town red get out and decorate your homes light up your businesses and your public buildings let's make sure he said that Lee McCarthy Cup feels right at home while the Mayor of Limerick Daniel Butler said that Croke Park Classic Classic represents all that is great about Irish sport and Irish culture and it does and I think that's what the game the fine game of hurling is about it's all about what is great about Irish uh, sport now the HSC the Department of Public Health they're urging fans you know please go out and enjoy yourself this uh, weekend but please Remember, COVID is not going to take a break just because it's All-Ireland uh, Sunday day. And uh, so they're saying enjoy the hurling final, but do it safely. They're encouraging everyone to remember to socialise safely, wear a mask if you're in a crowded place. Keep your two metre social distancing from people who are not in your household. If you are in a crowded place, think about moving to somewhere less crowded. Think about going somewhere where there's good ventilation so that you can enjoy the game in comfort and in uh, safety. Nobody wants to uh, for all of us to watch Cork win and then in a couple of days' time to come down with symptoms and realise that somewhere along the line you managed to pick up uh, COVID-19. But as the mayor the Lord Mayor of Cork, Colm Keller, saying to people to get out and decorate their homes and their businesses. We've been asking the good people of Cork City and County to get out and decorate their homes and their businesses. And remember, we were asking people to please send in your photographs to us on WhatsApp. And thank you to everybody who took time to take a photograph of either their home or their business premises and send it into us. But we wanted to add an incentive into it. So yesterday we announced the winners, the All-Ireland and hurling finalist winners of the best home and the best uh, business and I can tell you now that the winner of the best dressed business is Michael Guineys and the photograph is actually sent to us by Sarah Constance thank you for that uh, Sarah congratulations to Michael Guineys they have won 500 euro and the best house prize 500 euro is going to Court McSherry to the home of Keen Brickley congratulations Keen. you have won for yourself 500 euro for going to the bother of beautifully decorating your house but also sending on the picture to us but thanks to everybody else who took part in that uh, competition and come on the rebels I mentioned the Christmas shop opened at Brown Thomas uh, yesterday and is it too early Alyssa said I worked in Blarney Woolen Mills we often got phone calls in July to book in for Santa Claus some people just like to be very very organised which is fair enough Um, some people like the idea of doing their shopping and spreading it out over a long period of time others though not so pleased that I even mentioned Christmas as Maura says please don't mention that C word uh, again we've been locked up for so uh, long I get a panic attack just going to the shop to get a bottle of milk parents are parents not under enough pressure to get their children back to school safely even Covid won't kill or cure greed whoa says uh, Maura and then Mary says oh for God's sake Trisha Christmas decorations in Brown Thomas for goodness sake it's only August I barely put my Christmas 2020 decorations away 
Hey, it's ridiculous in August. I'm still looking to buy my bikini. Seriously, it's way too soon. Uh, for Children haven't even gone back to school yet. Halloween is next. Not to mind Christmas decorations and trees. Also, there's a lot of pressure. I'm not happy at all with this. After Halloween, says Mary, is surely the best time to start putting up commercial Christmas decorations. I am sure, said Mary, that a lot of your listeners will be agreeing with me. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Mary. And when people are talking about the children, the parents are only trying to get the children ready to go back to school. We had an email in from Jenny in West Cork uh, to say she has had her 12-year-old son uh, vaccinated and she's wondering, will that mean that he would still have to self-isolate if there was an outbreak in his classroom? And the reason for it is Jenny said he missed enough school over the last uh, two years and she really doesn't want him missing any school as he heads, heads into the academic year this September as he's going into first year and she thinks that's a very important year and she feels now that he's vaccinated, would he still have to self-isolate if there was an outbreak in his classroom or in his uh, school? Well, I know the HSC uh, chief Paul Reid. He was speaking about this earlier in the week, Jenny, and he confirmed that children who are fully vaccinated would not have to isolate if they are identified as a close contact of a positive case within the school environment as long as they're not displaying symptoms. Paul Reid says those children who have not been vaccinated they would immediately have to isolate if they were deemed a close contact. But if you're fully vaccinated you don't have any symptoms and you're a close contact to them, no, uh, Jenny, your son will still be able to go to school. And someone else asked me yesterday if I could find out about the wearing of masks for primary school children. Uh, there is a listener who has a little lad starting school and she's been trying to practice with them at home wearing the school mask because another parent said to her it's looking like primary school children will have to start wearing masks. She says it's very difficult to get her little five year old to keep a mask on for any period of time. Well I can tell you also that primary school students will not be required to wear face coverings when they head back into school in the coming weeks. Now despite pressure from some public health experts to introduce Introduce the measure. So that's where that rumour went around that primary school children would have to wear face masks because some of the, the public health experts feel it's the right thing uh, to do. But new guidance has now come out from the Department of Education and they say they will not be recommending that primary school children wear face coverings in the classroom. And I do think that's a pretty sensible thing to do. I think it will be very, very tricky particularly on the smaller ones in primary school. Now, the new guidance that has just come out from the Department of Education also notes that wearing face coverings will not be expected of people with breathing difficulties or uh, people with uh, special needs. However, it will now be a requirement for face coverings to be worn by staff members where it's not possible to maintain physical distance of two metres from other staff, from parents, essential workers or from pupils. It's advised that in certain situations the use of clear visors should be considered. You know, they're talking about staff maybe that are interacting with uh, pupils who have hearing difficulties and perhaps may have to lip read or people who have learning difficulties and might find it difficult to hear what's going on or to understand what's been spoken. So they're saying clear visors could be used in those cases. And schools will also have to provide medical graded masks to all SNAs and teachers in special schools and special classes and those staff by the 
they're by the very necessity they need to be in very close and continued proximity with their parents with pupils sorry not parents with pupils you know pupils that they're doing intimate care needs uh, for and they're also including school bus escorts um, the school bus escorts for the special needs schools all of those um, grade of workers will have to be given these medically medically graded masks and the ones there are obviously the ones that are used in hospitals 1850 103 some of your text coming in wanting to cheer on the boys across the weekend. Can you wish the very best of luck to the East Cork lads and all the Cork team. Very best for Sunday. Up the Rebels. That's from Margaret and Cahill Dean. Best of luck to all of the Rebel teams across the weekend. That's coming in from uh, Elizabeth. Uh, hi Mary in uh, Skibbereen. Could you wish the Cork hurlers the very, very best of luck for uh, Sunday and John Fimber up the Rebels the best of luck and Susan wishing all the best to the teams Jane from Ballylicky and Michael in Barry Row some of your texts coming in just to wish wish the lads the very best of luck this weekend 1850 333 103 Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie now Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock decided to take a look at the amount of money spent by the HSC on consultancy fees during the pandemic. The amounts revealed are really jaw-dropping. And Deputy Sean Sherlock uh, joins me with more on this. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. €57 million. Do we know what was that spent on? Well, it's an extraordinary figure. We've been tracking it for the last year because it came to our attention at the beginning of the pandemic that uh, the HSE was procuring uh, outside consultancy services. And to answer your question, when we sought the details of it, you know, we, we were getting breakdowns, uh, we further breakdowns to get, but it's on things like procurement of PPE, providing consultancy on things like contact tracing, on the operation, for instance, of the integrated national organisational hub that was coming in at 12 million alone, uh, on, on things of management of estates, uh, you know, the you know making buildings ready within the HSE uh, family, all of that kind of spend. But we haven't received further breakdowns of exactly how the, the money has gone across from the HSE directly across to the Grant Thorntons, the Price PWCs, the Ernst & Youngs, the Deloitte's and the KPMGs. But we do know uh, that, you know, on the management of COVID alone, for instance, that it's coming in at about 17 million euros so far and probably is going to, it will not stop there. But cumulatively, uh, you know, these are the type of payments that are being paid to consultancy firms for uh, for advice and consultancy on all manner, all kinds of services. And I think the reason we put in parliamentary questions on it, because I think the taxpayer deserves answers as to, you know, how much money is being spent by the taxpayer on these services and whether or not there's value for money for the advices that are being given. And quite a as you say, the, the the figures are astronomical, and I, I can't reconcile the figures in my own mind because you know I'm a typical TD where you're battling day in day out for access to 
you know, things like equipment for, for children, you know, under the heading of disability services, and you can't get access to that. And yet there doesn't seem to be any problem in spending money for advice to big firms. And there doesn't seem to be what I would call uh, an evaluation of the line by line, uh, you know, Euro spend for the advice is given. It's it's an extraordinary amount yeah, of and money, and, 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 and it's and money and that could go into the front line. Yeah, abs- uh, absolutely. And I don't know if this is uh, a, a, a silly question or an obvious question to to ask. But do the HSE not have in house expertise? Can or can they not call on the officials at the Department of Health to do some of that work? It, it's an excellent question, and it's a question that I'm asking myself because. If they're, if the HSE's operating budget for 2021 is coming in at approximately 20 billion euros, uh, you know, they have procurement officers. They have a head of procurement. They have a head of contact tracing. Uh, you know, they, they, the integrated national organizational hub, I think, which is, as I understand it, manages the, the crisis, that they should be staffed with people who have the skill sets already to be able to manage the COVID crisis. Now, I understand from time to time why any government would bring in additional competency and skills. And we've seen that, for instance, in relation to contact tracing, where you have somebody who is seconded from PricewaterhouseCoopers, or, or sorry, from Ernst & Young, across and is now leading the uh, you know the the contact tracing element of of the pandemic. Well, that However, one, yeah, that's an obvious one because it's something we haven't done before. Indeed, but but still, contact tracing is something that should be a part of every modern health service, especially in Western Europe, because you, you always prepare for the possibility that there will be outbreaks, uh, and and you you have that planning in place in the background anyway. But notwithstanding what I would perceive to be the good job that that person is doing. What I would like to know is how much is it costing the taxpayer? And even if it's not, even if that person is seconded on a voluntary basis, the, the fact is that Ernst & Young has still earned a considerable amount of money. So, for instance, we do know that on the consultancy cost invoices, that Ernst & Young have earned about 4.6 million euros on what we call, what the HSE calls, capacity planning and analysis, and strategic workforce planning. Now, what does that mean? And we don't have the answers to those questions. And that's why I'll be talking to the chairman of the Public Accounts Committee, because I do believe that we should devote some time. I'm a member of that committee. We we should devote some time in the autumn to examining further the line-by-line spend by the HSE uh, of taxpayers' money on these services. And if it was up to me, if I was chair of that committee, I'd be bringing in the Grant Thorntons, the PWCs, and I'd be saying, well, why did it, why is it costing us 4.6 million? And that's just part of the spend, you know, for capacity planning and analysis. And what does that mean? It seems to me that in this country, when it comes to the procurement of consultancy services, that we seem very willing to pay premium prices. And I often wonder then what the what the output for the payment of those services is when on the other side of the balance sheet, as I say, you know, you can't fix a pothole in this country at the moment, trying to get, you know, roads done, trying to get houses built, you know, trying to get simple equipment, for instance, where there's a day in, day out struggle to get, for instance, where, you know, a car seat for a child or, you know, 
podiatry equipment for a child or a young person in the disability sector or getting access to a hip operation or I have people on my list who are looking for cataract operations. And, and it's that what I call what I call the, the juxtaposition between the two, the contradiction that exists between, you know, on the one hand, no problem about paying for advices and consultancy services, but on the other hand, struggling then to scrape together a few bob, uh, you know, to give people the services that they've already paid for through their, their tax so, money. So, so definitely more scrutiny of these figures is, more is, scrutiny, is needed. More scrutiny, no doubt about it. And I think what we have to just... We can't let this pandemic pass without scrutinising what the spend is. And I suppose this is my first attempt as one TD, I think uh, possibly the first person to actually shine a light on the spend for consultancy services. And we continue to do that because I think the taxpayer does deserve to know what it is that is being spent throughout this crisis and how it's being spent and who is actually benefiting from that spend and whether or not the taxpayer actually gets the services from the spend. Okay, we'll wait, we'll wait within, with interest to see uh, further breakdown on these uh, figures. In the meantime, do you have a ticket for the match, Sean? I, I don't have a ticket for the match, uh, P- Patricia. I, I, I'll be honest with you, and I don't want to sound holier than thou about it. I'll, I'll watch it on the television with the okay. family here, and I'll be happy out doing that. And and somebody more deserving will will get that. Well ticket, done, you know? well done. <laughs> and I don't I don't mean that to sound kind of sanctimonious or holier than thou, yeah. but. No, there'll there'll be there'll be lots and lots of people who are diehard GA fans, and I just think this year of all years, with the is it twenty? I I, I should know the capacity of Crow Park. There's forty thousand. Forty thousand allowed yeah. in. Yeah, so yeah. There's a there'll, big there'll scramble somebody, for tickets. Yeah. Yeah, there'll be somebody more deserving than me, but I'll be happy out here now with the the family watching it. And your <laughs> your 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 predictions? Do you think they'll do it? I think they're going to. I, I have a feeling, but you're always optimistic as a Cork person. Yeah. But the, 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 the capacity is there, I think, to do it. And this year, there's something about the way they're playing their hurling. They're playing lovely hurling. There's a lovely style of hurling. Now, Limerick are formidable foes, like, there's no question about that in respect of their physicality and the ball handling skills. But I've seen a massive improvement in Cork's simple ball handling skills. And that's paying dividends as well, I think, as well. You yeah, know. and I think, I think the hunger is there. I really think the, oh, hunger, the hunger is there, there. for sure. Yeah, the fire All is right. in the belly. Absolutely. Yeah. Enjoy the match on, on Sunday, Sean, and indeed the minor one tomorrow. And thanks a million for joining us today. Good, good morning to you. Thank bye you. bye. That is uh, Cork East uh, Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock, 1850 due to a, a broken water main. Oh, with the rain falling today, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. Water will be off in Fremont, in Milford, in Liscarroll, Dramina, Killary, Newton Chandram, uh, Ballingyle, and the surrounding uh, areas. The All Allo scheme will be impacted by low water pressure and possibly some water outages as well. And that's happening. It's ongoing from now till about four o'clock this afternoon. But Irish Water are working to correct that. That's that broken water main in the Fremont, Milford, and surrounding areas. And actually, somebody else was on asking me to give a mention about the McCroom Civic Community Site. It's going to be closed from next Monday the 23rd to Wednesday the 25th inclusive and it's for essential maintenance so Civic Immunity Site in McCroom closed Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week Court Today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group, for motor, home, business farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie Now one year on from the landmark report on the tragic impact of COVID-19 in our nursing homes, the government has been a 
accused by Nursing Homes Ireland of shrinking its responsibility to improve the safety in such settings. Tyg Daly with Nursing Home Ireland uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Tyg. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, the Department Thank of you. Health has defended its response to COVID-19 in nursing mm. homes and they say responsibility for safe care of residents rests with providers. How do you answer that? Yeah, look, I think there's two issues here and we, we need to, to, to separate them out. One is absolutely uh, the providers, whether they're public, private or voluntary, take their responsibility very seriously. And to be fair, it is important to acknowledge that significant um, cooperation uh, and, I suppose, work on what we would term operational or day-to-day issues uh, have happened, you know, in terms of infection control, um, in, in, in terms of, of uh, HPSC guidance, etc., and in terms of... of community or COVID response teams. I suppose what we're raising, Patricia, ultimately is that there are, COVID has illuminated many of the issues that we have spoken about for a number of years. So what we're talking about is the, is the key structural reforms. And look, we accept fully that they will not happen overnight. They're complex, uh, you know, many of them will take time and it's challenging. But I suppose our concern is on the anniversary of the expert panel is that we are concerned that there isn't the same level of momentum, if you like, now behind the recommendations that there was a year ago. So, uh, absolutely, you know, a lot has happened. A lot of good things have happened. Um, And to be fair, when you look at the vaccination program, for example, when the leadership, the political will, and the investment is provided, we can make things happen very, very quickly. So that's the point we're making, is that this is an opportunity now to address some of the underlying issues. uh, And we had Accenture to do a report ourselves on that. So um, I think it's important, as I said, to, to, I suppose, divorce the two, if you like. They're they're connected, absolutely. uh, But what what we're talking about is the more longer term, or the more medium, sorry, and longer term issues. And if all of the report's recommendations were to be put in place, how much would it cost? I mean, I'm assuming that's where the HSE are saying we'd love to put everything in place, but it's the cost side of it. No, absolutely. And I think in, in that statement you referred to from the department, they do make the point that many of the recommendations haven't even been cost at this point in time because they are complex. Um, but, you know, it, it is not insignificant. But I suppose the point we continually make is that, you know, this is about older persons' care here. This isn't about private, public or voluntary. You know, this isn't about Nursing Homes Ireland or the HSE. This is about older people. We have an ageing population. We should be celebrating the fact that people are living longer and put in place the appropriate resources to do that. And, you know, that may require I mean, uh, additional tax, for example. But we need to have that debate uh, in society um, in, in terms of how, how it's going to happen. I mean, the expert panel had 86 recommendations across 15 teams. And, you know, when it was published, we welcomed it. And the vast majority of people welcomed it. So there's a, there's, I think there's a responsibility in all of us, including Nursing Homes Ireland, absolutely, to ensure that despite the fact that we're in a much better place now, uh, that we don't let that opportunity slip. Because when the light dims in any sector, people move on. And that's our concern, that we can't move on, uh, you know, without addressing some of those, what we would term, key, key structural reforms. But, w- would, I mean, I, I take it you would agree that nursing homes now are much safer than they were at the start of the pande- pandemic, when sadly, you know, we saw so many lives lost. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the, the sector has changed um, and it's become, I mean, I suppose a more medical model uh, of care uh, rather than a social care model. But we need to be careful as well that we don't end up, you know, developing services to deal with a pandemic. Um, I mean, we pride ourselves in, in Ireland on the high standard of care in nursing homes and the fact that it's a social model of care where visitors can come and go, uh, where it's a home from home. 
uh, now we're in danger in some respects of becoming a more medical, a more clinical model. And I think we need to have that debate. You know, uh, for a pandemic, it's appropriate. But once we come out of the pandemic, uh, what we need to do is look at the whole model of care. And they're the, they're the big ticket issues, the issues of access to therapies, the GP visits to nursing homes, the issue of workforce. Um, all of those issues are key issues, and they're not going to be solved by NHI on our own or the HSE. We're, we as an organisation are very committed to working collabor- collaboratively with all of the stakeholders, but there needs to be, as I say, a renewed focus on it now, uh, and we need to maintain that momentum. I mean, throughout the period of the pandemic, a lot of focus on nursing homes, um, and, and you know, it would, be, it would be remiss of us all if we were just to uh, you know, suggest now that because we're in a better place, that some of those reforms aren't required. Okay, and obviously we are in a lot, much better place than, than we were at the start of the uh, pandemic. But I, 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 did I read yesterday that there has been, is it up to 20 outbreaks in nursing homes? So would you be concerned by that in, in the last week? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, the HSE yesterday as well uh, had some figures at their weekly briefing in terms of uh, outbreaks across the entire health service, the hospitals and nursing homes. So it is concerning, but, I, I, you know, I wouldn't want to alarm people either because, thankfully, despite the fact that they're... I mean, on the first instance, an outbreak is two or more. So it could be two residents, it could be two staff, or it could be one resident and one staff. So that's one element. It's, it's a relatively small number. It's what I'm hearing across the country. And the other, I suppose, good news, if you like, is that people are not as sick. Mm. Uh, because of the vaccine has been so uh, so effective, yeah. So the, the challenge for us now is to ensure that we have a look at the booster vaccine, and we're encouraged by the fact that the minister has said that uh, Nyack will be making a decision in the next week. So you know, and it is expected that nursing home residents will be the first. Oh, absolutely. But I suppose we are a little bit concerned, if I'm honest, in terms of the notion that we'd wait until the flu vaccine in October. Uh, our view is that as soon as the medical or clinical advice is made, we should be ready to roll. Uh, and ready to implement uh, ASAP, as it were. So we'd be we'd be anxious that it would happen sooner rather than later, particularly against the backdrop of increased uh, increased infections, because there are breakthrough cases, as we know, and the the efficacy, if you like, of the vaccine does wane over over a period of months. And we know that nursing home residents and staff were vaccinated, you know, literally in January of this year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's also, there's reports coming out from England that the Pfizer is waning more quicker than the AstraZeneca. The AstraZeneca seems to be holding its uh, effectiveness, but definitely boosters. And we do seem to be awash with vaccines at the moment. It's not that it's a supply issue. We can't get our hands on vaccines. There just seems to be enough there. Yeah, and I mean, in fairness to the HSE, they've done a super job in terms of rolling out the vaccination, you know, from from a standing start. So I think credit where it's due as well. But I suppose what we need to do now is ensure that we, while we are waiting the NIAC decision, that we put the infrastructure and the systems and the, I suppose, the the scaffold, if you like, around it so that when they make the decision about commencement of of booster vaccination, that the system is ready to respond in a very timely fashion. Okay, and listen, before I let you go, a little birdie, i.e. your own John Paul, has just told me you've managed to get a ticket to the match on Sunday. I have indeed. I have indeed. Thankfully, yesterday yesterday afternoon there was a lot of, uh, as you can imagine, a fair few emails come into my inbox every day. The one that came in yesterday with the good news was a, a, particularly, a particularly welcome one, I can assure you. Yeah, so, yeah, but is, is, it, is it causing some friction in the household? Well, a small bit, a small bit. Um, um, I, my wife is still waiting for, on, on, on a ticket, so hopefully we'll be able to you score, only got, score you, another one. So. You only got one. Only one, <laughs> only one. So anybody, anybody, uh, like everybody on your show, I'm sure anybody listening, if they're looking for someone to, a home for a ticket, they'll know where to find it. They, can, they have my number. <laughs> but I think you might be a good luck charm because you were there in 2005. 
I was indeed. I was indeed. Absolutely. I, I was. Um, I was about maybe eight or ten feet away from uh, Sean Oak when he when he lifted the trophy at the time. So uh, yeah, it was a. I was I was at the Kilkenny game as well this year in the Dublin game in Torres. So yeah, look, I'd be. A, and we a might strong, send you off as a supporter. We so might send you off as the good luck charm, and hopefully the wife will get one too. Listen, Ty, enjoy, and thanks a million for joining us on the program. Thank you, Deepa. Good, good morning, morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Ty Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just wondering if you know of someone, please, who would be interested in old trophies that I have accumulated down through the years. I really don't want to just throw them into a skip. Uh, there's got to be somebody out there that would like old trophies. This lady is in the Charleville area. So anybody know of a good home for old trophies? If you make contact with us, we can pass on uh, this lady's telephone number and contact details and then you can arrange to collect them. But they're in the she's in the Charleville area. I think that's important because we don't want some people might be able to travel long distances to pick up the trophies but if you're looking for old trophies that you can reuse let us know please 1850 and then poor old Mary is in a bit of a pickle about her Covid vaccine certificate and she says Hi Patricia I lost my letter from the Revenue Commissioner stating that I am now fully vaccinated I've been trying for the last three weeks to get through to the 1800 phone number no joy and nobody else seems to be able to help me out has any other listener found themselves in the same situation and how did they get around it now I got John Paul spoke with Mary just to find out some more information she really is in a pickle she didn't they didn't have an email account for her so it was the physical letter was sent in the post that a lot of people received I think uh, many people who got their vaccination at their GP received the letter from revenue in the post then for people who went to vaccination centres it was emailed uh, through so she didn't get it by email so she doesn't have an email record of it it was the physical cert that she had and obviously didn't get a chance to get it photocopied anywhere and she has now lost it but she's got a further problem in that the mobile phone that they used you know you had to give a mobile phone for contact details and that's the number that they send on to you so that you can get online or they send a code on to you her mobile phone was stolen and she's ended up getting a new mobile phone with a new phone number so the, even the number that she has, that the HSE have for her, is of no use to her. If they're sending out a code to her, it's going to a mobile phone that is now not work, no, now no longer uh, working. So she really physically needs to speak to somebody, i.e., somebody in the COVID certificate uh, section. So she's been trying the one eight hundred eight zero seven zero zero eight, but absolutely having no luck. The only thing I can suggest to you, Mary, and we know we got this from one of our listeners who had a problem because he had hadn't received his COVID uh, certificate and he'd been trying and trying and trying. He happened, I think he heard it from somebody else, between 4 and 4.30 seems to be, for whatever reason, a quiet time to ring the 1800 number, the COVID certificate number. So that's the one thing I can suggest that maybe you try calling them between 4 and 4.30 to see if you can get through. But in the meantime, did anybody else lose the COVID certificate and how did you get around being issued with uh, a second one? And then for people who this was coming up a few weeks ago people who had the problem that the wrong name was on their COVID certificate 
you know, the example being used was somebody who's called Ted by their doctor had been registered on their COVID certificate as Ted O'Neill. But on Ted O'Neill's passport, he's actually Timothy. So he needed to change his COVID certificate so it would reflect the name that was on his passport. This was particularly relevant for people who were travelling. I mean, if you only needed it to go for indoor dining, it was okay. But if you were travelling anywhere, we were told your COVID certificate must match the name that was on your passport and that became a problem for a number of people, including my own daughter, Marsha, who uh, name on her passport is actually Maria. And Maria, we even spelt Maria the Russian way, M-A-R-I-Y-A, which always adds a further complication to it. So I was in that pickle as well and we're not travelling anywhere, but I said, oh, better get it checked, better get it sorted out, just in case, in the future, she may need to have her COVID certificate matched matching her passport. So what they did then was they introduced, you can go online to do that. So I did it last week when I was off. Simplest procedure. You do need to have the original certificate with you though because they look for the number that's on the original certificate. Then they ask you for the details that you want changed on the new certificate. So I said it's the first name I want to change from Marsha to Maria and I think about five days later now you do have to give an email address for it that's the only thing about five days later the new certificate was like I got it and have it printed off uh, and I've actually printed off five copies of it um, and, and I did say that to people who were getting their copies their hard copies to try to get it photocopied for fear that you might lose one and also a piece of paper can get very tatty if you're dragging it around the place as well and we've been told of course don't laminate the COVID certificates themselves but anyway we're back to Mary with her last certificate. Did anybody else lose a certificate, the hard copy one? And if you did lose it, how did you go about getting another one issued? If you can help us with that, please, so we can offer advice to uh, Mary. But she does physically need to get onto that phone number, one eight hundred eight zero seven zero zero eight. Try, as I say, uh, Mary, to do that between 4 and 4.30 and please let us know how you get on with it. 1850 Some of your texts uh, coming in to us this morning. This is on, actually, indoor dining. Two different uh, texts in on this morning uh, to all at uh, C103. Patricia, just want to highlight something that I think is of concern. I was in Kenmare yesterday. We went away on a day trip and I was so surprised that when we went in for lunch into a bar, I wasn't even asked for any ID wasn't asked if I was vaccinated or to produce my vaccination certificate, nor was I asked for any contact details for contact tracing. There were people walking through the bar without face masks. I even spotted a man delivering goods, walked through the bar to the back of the building and he and others had no face coverings on. What is happening in County Kerry? Are they special people? It was a public house. Can you investigate this, uh, please? Uh, yeah, I'm really surprised by that because when I was away last week, it seems so long ago now, when I was away in at West Cork, I certainly saw lots of evidence of people being asked for COVID certificates where there, there wasn't a lot of indoor dining now going on. Most of it was outdoor dining, but certainly anywhere where I spotted indoor dining, people were being asked for COVID certificates. People were being asked for photo uh, ID and certainly contact tracing. There was lots of evidence of contact tracing. So I really am surprised to hear that. I don't know how commonplace it is. The only thing I will say, and if you were, if I was in a situation like that and was feeling a little bit uncomfortable about it, particularly people walking around with their face masks on, and we've been told how important the face masks are 
even for those of us that are fully vaccinated, we know we can still pick up COVID-19. So I would, and it's the advice that Tony Houlihan and all of the experts are always giving, giving, if you don't feel comfortable somewhere, I'd get up and leave and go. And I'd have gone to lunch somewhere else where I would, where I may have felt a little bit more uh, comfortable. But I certainly am surprised to hear it. Anybody else? Is it, is it, is, was it just something particular to one bar in County Kerry? Have other people been to County Kerry and are they a bit lax about contact tracing and about asking for your COVID certificate? Because another listener was on to us. They were on a day trip to Waterford yesterday and they also went out to lunch and they were in the Granville Hotel. You've been to Waterford, the wonderful Granville Hotel. And this listener says, it was our first time that we've been out since we received our vaccination. I would just like to say, from the young man who met us at the door, who asked us for proof of our vaccination, also asked us for ID to verify that the names on the COVID certificate, we were the same uh, people. He then took our temperature. He then took a contact number for contact tracing. We felt so safe. And it was all down to the staff of the Granville Hotel in Waterford. Take a bow, especially to the young man that we met at the front door. Now, that's terrific. That is that really is great. And that is what we should be seeing a lot more of. I know my first time going out for indoor dining was to the gallery bar in uh, Mallow. And we went out and actually my mother-in-law was was down with us for a visit. It's a couple of weeks ago. And we went there and we were all asked for our COVID certificates. They checked all of our COVID certificates. Now, they didn't look for ID because they, they would know who we were. But contact tracing, we had to give one of the party of four had to sign in and telephone number had to be given. And you know something exactly like what that listener is saying, what happened to her in Waterford. You felt much more safe because you knew that everybody in the establishment were doing the right thing. So you knew you know, this this is a safe environment, I can enjoy my meal and I won't have to worry about anything and they're doing everything to protect me as we're doing everything by wearing masks when we were walking around the restaurant, uh, etc. So I would like to think that the majority of establishments are doing it the same way. But somebody else says, Trish, that's happening in Cork too. I went for lunch on Sunday, uh, three of us, not one person was asked for a COVID uh, certificate. We weren't asked for proof of uh, ID. Finally, when we were sitting down at the table, somebody came over and asked for a contact name and a telephone number. But at that stage, we were already seated in the restaurant. Well, 1850 As I say, surprised uh, to see that going on. In uh, And I wonder, is it in the minority rather than in the majority? OK, just a couple of other quick uh, texts. When I was talking about the consultant fees that's been highlighted by Deputy Sean Sherlock. Councillor Declan Hurley in West Cork says, Patricia, I can't believe the figures that have been quoted from the HSE for consultancy fees. What was it? 54 million euro in the last year. That's a million a week when you think of it that way. Given the way this pandemic was managed and the decisions that have been made, I seriously question where is the value for money here? That money could be much better spent on hiring more nurses and actually hiring medical consultants. Well done to Deputy Sean Sherlock for highlighting this issue. Thanking you. And that's from Councillor Sir Declan Hurley who says up the rebels uh, for Sunday so so all of us Declan thank you for your text and then in a way sort of tied in with money spent by the HSE John is saying Patricia yesterday the consultancies the medical consultants said that the public waiting list to see a consultant in this country is now at 900,000 people so we're getting close to the waiting list for a public patient to see a consultant, we're getting close to a million people 
on a waiting list. Isn't that incredible? That is just incredible. Many of those people are in pain. Many of those people have conditions that are deteriorating with each passing day. COVID, of course, has made this situation worse, but it is an appalling situation by any standard. Yeah, how right you are. Thank you for that, uh, John. WhatsApping 0862 103 103. And just when I'm on WhatsApps, I can see a couple of... Uh, messages coming in to wish the teams well at the weekend including Anthony Pickford who's in Limerick he's obviously cheering for a different team now on Sunday to our good selves but he wants to say best of luck to both teams on Sunday looking forward to a wonderful uh, game so say all of us thank you for that Anthony enjoy the match and come on the Rebels on Sunday best wishes from Benji Toffee and Bonnie who have sent in a message from Lep in West Cork C103 Jobs the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Garbury. They've got vacancies for an accommodation manager, wedding and events manager. They're also looking for bar staff. Clever Kids, they're in Shambhalimore. They're looking for a child care practitioner. While Longerville House in Mallow, they're looking for waiting staff with bar experience. They also have a vacancy for a breakfast cook. And a preschool assistant is required to work in the wing area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie Well, part one of the Rebel Treble was completed on Wednesday night with the win by the Cork under 20 hurlers. So all eyes this weekend on the All-Ireland Senior and minor hurling finals. Joining me this morning, our big match commentator, John Cashman, and our match analyst, Tom Kenny. Good morning to you, gentlemen. Hi, Patricia. Good morning to you. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're very welcome. Tom, if I can start with you, you were on the last winning team in 2005 and you were also on the team that made it to the final in 2013. What's going through the minds of the team today? Um, I suppose first, Patricia, they're, they're just looking to get out, their house in order today. Um, I suppose back then, pre-COVID, we would have travelled up on the Saturday and things like that. I, I believe the players might be travelling up on the Sunday, so they, they might have an extra day at home. I'm not too sure of that, but the Friday you're just spent making sure you've everything out of the way. You know, tickets can become a distraction, so I used to normally pass those off to my father and he used to look after all of that, but, you know, you just get your gear right and make sure you're kind of... Um, just, just enjoying the day that it is before the weekend be- comes in on top of you because, you know, normally you travel up on the Saturday, as I said, and I suppose the whole the whole build-up to the game starts on the Saturday, you're up in the train, you know, you're, you're even though the game is not until Sunday, you're switched on, you're you're still in the group, you're, you're you know, you see the colour, you see the fans, the, you can feel the atmosphere, that kind of thing. So um, it's just about kind of stepping back from it as best you can uh, without getting carried away in the, in the whole um, atmosphere, you know. But you're very aware of people putting out their flags and the bunting and the excitement and the anticipation on behalf of the fans. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's fantastic to see you. You see outside houses, long roads, you know, you, coming from Grenade to Town, you see the signs in Blarney for Wishing Shane and Mark the Best and the sign for Patrick in the under-20 final last Wednesday. So it, it's fantastic to see, you know, and even young kids to see that and to see games that are coming up and asking their parents, you know, what's this about, who's playing, why are they playing, and, you know, it gives them a whole um, new world to look into too, you know, 
for some they might be into sport already for others they might be only beginning to dip their mm. toes into it and it's great for those young kids too you know Yeah that's a great point uh, John the atmosphere is building right across the, the city and county is there a real hunger for the win this weekend? Oh. Bob, without any doubt, uh, Patricia Tom was on the team, of course, the, the last All-Ireland winning team, 2004 first, and, and then 2005. But it's, it's a long time from a Cork perspective, but this is a famine. This is 16 years in terms of, of uh, holding famine from a Cork perspective. So there's a huge, huge hunger, and a huge anticipation, you know, the joy, the outpouring of emotion that we've seen in recent days with the great success that the minors and the 20s have had at provincial level and now on Tullus on Wednesday night as well wonderful atmosphere there as the 20s were crowned champions and like to put it into perspective really Patricia it's the first time since 1977 that all three Cork teams have qualified for the All-Ireland their respective All-Ireland finals in one season and it's 51 years ago since Cork achieved the treble for their only time in their history in 1970 so when you consider that the, the 20s won at this stage the minors play tomorrow night the seniors play Sunday there's a huge desire, there's a huge hunger, there's huge anticipation right across the county that something really, really special is currently happening in Cork Calling. And obviously the, the Holy Grail would be bringing back the Lee McCarthy Cup. Mm. I, I, and I think even the rain today is in dampening the spirits. Even when I was driving to work this morning, I don't think I've ever seen so many people with flags out and flags on people's cars. It, it, it really is terrific. Tom, the Cork team go into this final as the underdogs. Will that work in their favour? You'd like to think so, Professor. I suppose Limerick have, have been huge ambassadors of the game for the last number of years. They're they're going for three All Ireland in four years. They're a phenomenal team from even just the the build and makeup of the players themselves before they ever play hurling. They're really really um, well toned and and their physique is massive and they're well able to play hurling as well. I suppose that gets that gets lost in a lot of discussion when people talk about how strong and physical Limerick are that they can play hurling as well, but. I think probably the way Cork have come into the game in terms of uh, losing out to Munster, getting through a game against Clare, which uh, with maybe 30 seconds to go looked quite uh, dodgy from their point of view. But, and then from there on in, look, they, they kept Dublin at bay. Um, they had a great performance against Kilkenny, especially in extra time. You know, they, they really put their foot down and solved the game. And it, I suppose it'll stand to them in the sense that, it's, as John said there, it's 16 years since we've won in All-Ireland. Um, the under-20s have won already. The He's got the minors who win tomorrow night, so that'll probably build the excitement. But for the players themselves and the management, um, you know, a lot of the talk is about Limerick and a lot of talk is about Cork hurling as as opposed to the Cork senior hurling team itself. Mm. So um, they are coming slightly in under the radar in that point of view, but it, it's hopefully it'll play to their advantage. But like any Cork people around the place, I suppose we're, we're talking up our chances <laughs> and we're getting confident as the days go on. but Hopefully that won't creep into the, the setup inside. And actually during the week, our GA reporter, Finbar McCarthy, spoke to uh, Cork hurler Patrick uh, Horgan. Uh, and of course, he one of the top scorers for Cork in the semi-final. Uh, and ahead of the final, with Limerick going into the game as favourites, Finbar asked uh, Patrick about the players' mindset on this. And this is what Patrick had to say. It's something obviously we can't think about that. Uh, we just have, we have enough uh, to think about ourselves now rather than think about anyone else. Uh, We'll just enjoy, I suppose, the lead up to it and uh, obviously on the day we'll enjoy it again. We're enjoying a hurling at the moment and uh, we just go around the day like smiles in our faces and, and give as best we can. But they have been very impressive, you have to concede, particularly the semi, the second half showing against Tipperary in the Munster final. That made everyone take, sit up and take notice that they didn't already. 
Yeah, obviously, like you don't win, you don't win two all the medals in three years, um, unless you're a serious team, and uh, they are a serious team. And look, we'll uh, we'll be up against it, obviously, but uh, we'll dig in and, and and go as far as we can with them, and we'll see how far we get. And we can hear that full uh, interview across the weekend with uh, Finbar McCarthy uh, speaking earlier in the week uh, with pa- Patrick uh, Horgan. Uh, John, on that whole thing of the, the underdogs, uh, it, I mean, is it fair to class Limerick as the raging favourites? Oh, they have to be really positioned. There's no doubt about it. They've been the outstanding hulling team in the country for the past number of years. Obviously, two of the last three Ireland's three monster titles in a row. The one that they didn't win in between two years ago probably got away from them a little bit against Kilkenny in the semi-final. It was a game maybe that was winnable at the time. So they've been outstanding. Look, they've nine all-stars from last year, the holiday year last year. Real quality. They've answered every question against every team that has put up a different challenge to them in the past couple of seasons. So yeah, no question about it. They deserve to be outstanding forever. So they haven't done before on the history of Limerick years. The county hasn't won back-to-back all Ireland twice. They've tried to do that in 1935 and 1974 and they've failed on both occasions to kill Kenny. So look, we're hoping maybe that little bit of history might continue. The other point is that traditionally as well, Cork uh, do quite well against uh, Limerick in matches. Patricia, they've played 68 championship matches and Limerick have only won 17 of those. Cork have won 46 of those. So, look, there might be just that little bit of element of doubt in the minds of people if it comes down the final straight. Can Limerick just get over the line? Will there be that bit of extra pressure on them? And caught from the point of view of the, I suppose, the abandonment of youth, really, that the fact that they are coming into a first final here, people are saying it's a free hit for them, but that's, that's not really the case. You're in an All-Ireland final. You have an opportunity. There's 70 minutes. You've got to try and win the game and, and not look back after and say we did well, but not quite well enough. This is there to be won. And I think Cork are capable of winning, Patricia, but without any question, your first point is Limerick certainly deserving favourite. Okay, can I just say your historical knowledge of who won what and when is just incredible. It really is incredible. Uh, Tom, After the homework, after uh, the well, homework well, and, and a bit of memory. I'll tell you, my, my first All Ireland final just on the side sideline, my late father took me to see Limerick playing in 1973. It's my first All Ireland final, so it still sticks in my mind. Cock had won in 1970 and they weren't in the finals, but I was old enough to go in in 1973 and they defeated Kilkenny, but it still speaks in the memory forever, so that, that that's a bit of history there, but Limerick had a long, long wait from 73, obviously, to, to 2018. To absolutely, win, so absolutely. Tom, what would be your main concerns for the Cork team facing Limerick? I suppose uh, and John touched on it there Patricia in that a lot of the Cork players wouldn't have experience of an All-Ireland final I think Owen Cadigan through football Patrick Corrigan I think Adam Cadigan might have been on the panel in 2013 or thereabouts and Seamus Harnady off the top of my head might be the ones who have experience of an All-Ireland final but other than that I suppose your fear would be that the players might see the occasion as opposed to the game you know once they get out the pitch and do their warm-up and I know they come back out and, and go back to the pitch, so that's that's an advantage for them. That you know the management can get hold of them for a minute or two minutes inside the dressing room before they go for the parade. But that'll be my one fear: is that it, the occasion might might creep into their mind um, once they get to Co Park and things like that. And look, it's it's very easy for me to say no, and um, it's a game at the end of the day. You know, you're playing on our team on a pitch, and obviously you try and block out the surrounds and the noise and things like that, but. Um, I think the fact that even they got a semi-final in Crow Park against the Kenny with 24,000 there, it'll be increased to 40 on Sunday that they have that bit of experience now of the crowd and the atmosphere and the aura that is Crow Park because it is big and it is it can make a lot of noise when the fans are there and 
I suppose just your cock would be loud enough up in the up in the stands. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be my one fear that the, the occasion kind of creeps into their mind instead of the game. OK, I'm about to ask John to talk us through what he feels are Cork's strong points. But before I do that, I want to bring in uh, Luke Leddy, who is with Limerick 95, our sister station. He's with their uh, sports department. And I don't want to share too much of, of the inside track from John. Uh, so <laughs> Luke is on the other line. Uh, good morning to you, Luke. Good morning. How are you keeping? <laughs> I, I'm keeping very well. What's the atmosphere like in Limerick uh, today? Ah, well, the, the lashing rain outside has, has dampened it a, a small bit, but it's great. The bunting and the flags are all out. People are getting really excited for the game. There's, there's still, obviously, as, as you know yourselves, uh, a scramble for tickets with the, with the, with the halved capacity. But, um, look, it's great. And, and look, it's really added to it as well, um, that, that yourselves are in the final. It's an all Munster final. The banter has been brilliant. And, uh, a lot of the border towns, I know there's been a lot of, uh, shenanigans going on with <laughs> lads trying to put, uh, the opposing flags on their names. Neighbours, uh, houses and all this. So, look, it's been brilliant and looking forward to Sunday. It's going to be a fantastic occasion. By the way, it's raining here in Cork, but we're dancing in the streets. We're not leaving <laughs> any bit of rain. We're, we're, we're not we're not damn squids like that at all. We're out celebrating uh, We're soft down here. Yeah, in that's Mercedes. what it is. That's <laughs> what it is. Have you any concerns about the team heading into Sunday? Ah, well, look, there's always a concern. And as you get closer to the to the game, you're, you get a bit more nervous. I mean, there was nerves ahead of, ahead of Waterford last year in the All-Ireland final as well, obviously, were very professional in their in their approach to that one and, and came away with uh, I think an 11 point victory so you're always going to be nervous coming into it and Cork are a team they have the, the pace they have the, the physicality now as well they have a bit more bite about them this year they've, they've some wonderful wristy hurlers as well so you're, you're always going to be uh, you're always going to be a bit nervous coming into a, a big game but uh, quietly confident at the same time I think the experience will be maybe telling from a Limerick point of view three finals in four years and uh, we'll probably say they were unlucky not to be in another one in 2019 so so look there's a, a mixture of nerves anticipation and a small bit of confidence thrown in there as well Okay and I've been spoke, speaking with our sports uh, lads before you came on about the fact that Limerick are the raging favourites does that sit well with the Limerick team? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? There's someone actually, there's people actually screaming about uh, Limerick Hurling here. Oh, is that what it is? I, I, I said I was talking with our sports lads about the fact that Limerick are the raging favourites. Does that sit well with the Limerick team? It, like, it, it used to, because we used to always be, be afraid of the hype. It was a big thing. Don't be talking about the Limerick Hurlers. Don't mention them in the lead up to big games. You heard it, Shane Dowling in, in 2018 as well. He, he wanted the team to be left alone. He didn't want to get to the final to march behind the band. I think over the last couple of years, we've, we've grown to kind of know that this team are mentally strong it doesn't really matter if they're favorites if they're underdogs they stick to their process they go about their business the same way they would in every single game they have their own individual goals their own individual targets they never drop the heads you saw them coming back from 10 points down against Tipperary in the in the Munster final like I'd say if you if you if you looked at them closely they're they're similar to to robots I think they're very robotic like very uh, cold and calculated so I think the, the favourites tag doesn't really mean too much maybe the fans are, are getting a bit nervous about it but certainly the, the hurlers aren't and they've breathed kind of new confidence into hurling fans and hurling people in Limerick which is great OK and uh, finally will they wait to travel up because of all the Covid restrictions will they wait to travel until Sunday? 
Yeah, they do. They they generally travel up on the train. It's been a process over the last couple of, of seasons. They travelled up for the semi-final on the train and they will do so again on Sunday. They have their, their own rhythm on, on match day where they, they travel up together. So uh, they, they wouldn't go up and, and stay the night before. They travel right, up on okay. the train. They'll be back then as well on the train that night. OK, listen, may the best team win and more than anything, enjoy the occasion. Excellent. Best of luck to you. Luke. Hope it's a great game. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Luke Lady of uh, Live 95 our sister station in uh, Limerick uh, John what are Cork's strong points in your opinion well he's got no Patricia we can say he can't be but he did, he did look did allude to them there obviously speed pace movement flexibility uh, ability to score with a lot of different from a lot of different angles from a lot of different ranges as well costed 11 scores obviously including extra time in the semi-finals so there's a great range there they also have have youth on their side. I suppose they are, they're going in as a side that are definitely improving. Patricia, they played Limerick twice so far in the league initially, lost by eight points. Then in the championship again, lost by eight points in the end. But they were two very different games. I think they've matured as they've gone on during the, the course of the season. Tom alluded to it. I think that their reaction sometimes in adversity during the course of matches like the Limerick game, the Dublin game, the Clare match, Kilkenny game the last day, they've showed a real positive reaction. So I think they're very well prepared. They're a very, very experienced backroom team as well. So look, they're going in as underdogs, absolutely 100%, but they're going in very, very well prepared and I'm sure very, very confident in their own ability and very focused on what they can do and, and the good things and they're, they're just trying to perfect them maybe to a higher level again than they did in the semi-final. OK, and I want to go back to our GAA reporter, Finmar McCarthy, because also during the week he spoke with the Cork manager, uh, Kieran Kingston, and uh, Kieran told Finbar he knows it's a huge ask for the Cork team on Sunday. It's great for the team to be back in a final. We know it's a huge, huge ask taking on the All-Ireland champions. We're total underdogs. Um, they're raging hot favours. But look, we'll be going out to give it our all and see where it takes us. Yeah, if you were to believe the pundits from various counties and from everywhere else, we have no business going up next Sunday. That is, it's a foregone conclusion. I mean, I met a farmer, great, at half time, and he said, "Doesn't matter who wins here today; they're not going to win the final." Surely, like that, that's been very disrespectful to this Cork team. Yeah, I mean, look, that's been read everywhere. As I said after the game, even I think it was one of the one of the. Um, he looked like a I don't know, was a security guy or a worker or somebody around Crow Park, and I thought he was walking around and just. That basically said Limerick's name is on the is on the cup anyway, uh, and look, that's that's the word, that's the perception out there. It's probably that way since December, and nothing has changed. And we look, we know they're a super team. They probably should have won the last three All Irelands, have won the last three months, two Lashon leagues. So we know it's going to be a huge ask. We know that, and they've beaten us well in both league and championship this year. But we're just trying to, in the time we have, three or four sessions from the semi final, recover well, and get our injury sorted, and be as best prepared as we can. Heading into uh, heading into the game and asking, I'll be asking the lads for real honesty uh, of effort, as I have all year. And, and if we get that, we'll see where that takes us. They want to go and they want to represent Cork in a real, real honest fashion. And that's all I can ask of them: give of your all when you take to the field on behalf of the players you've with you, the Cork holding public, the jersey you're wearing, and play it with pride. And if they give us a performance that that reflects those things. I'll be happy. Well said, well said. That is Kieran Kingston and you can hear the, both of those interviews that and the the previous clip that we heard from Patrick uh, Organ in full across the weekend on C103 Sports Shows plus of course full live commentary of the game on Cork Sports uh, Sunday. And Tom, you will be uh, with John Cashman uh, for the match on Sunday. Is that something you enjoy doing? Yeah, it was very enjoyable the last day against Kilkenny. I suppose the, 
the sense of occasion in the match itself probably led to it being um, uh, an enjoyable experience. I suppose had Cork lost, it might have been different. But <laughs> definitely, you get you get a, a different perspective up up in the high up in the stands watching the game and trying to be partial. I suppose can be difficult, but it's. Um, Enjoyable on the same place, yeah. Okay, well done. And John, what a weekend of GAA sport here on C103. Is it five live commentary games? Yeah, we have five live commentary matches, Patricia, starting tomorrow with the County Lawrence immediate final. It's Castlemart and Russell Robles from two at Party Rain. Then we go to Tullamore. Obviously, there'll be a bit of a novel minor football to start at half two against Tyrone. So we have two games in the afternoon. Two games in the evening then from 7.15, the big one from Cork Miners against Galway and Thullis at 7.15. And then big night for Ross Chapel and Mitchellstone intermediate football finals from 8pm in Mallow. So four tomorrow and obviously the Cena final. So five games in just over 24 hours. It's going to be a hit, but it's, uh, it's going to be really enjoyable. Uh, a lot of work gone in. Looking forward to the games, obviously, and hopefully... From everybody's perspective, I suppose, uh, everybody's obviously shouting on Cork and their, their respective teams in the county finals after that. OK, well, we always enjoy your commentary, John. Looking forward to it again right across this week. And to both of you, enjoy the weekend because that's what it's about as well. And thanks a million for talking to us today. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. John Cashman, our big match commentator, and uh, Tom Kenny, a former All-Ireland winner himself, who will be our match analysis on uh, Sunday. And I've just been told that all of the scheduled and extra trains for Cork and Limerick to Dublin on Sunday for the All-Ireland hurling final. Irish Rail have been on to say, guess what? They're fully booked out. C103, backing the Rebels all the way to the All-Ireland final. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Stay with the All-Ireland Fever and joining me with details of how you could win a pair of elusive tickets to the match is Aidan O'Connor, who is chairman of Douglas GAA Club. Good morning to you, Aidan. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Now, your club really has an interest in uh, Sunday. You have three players on the panel and the manager, Kieran Kingston, who we just heard from a couple of minutes ago, is also a Douglas Club member. That's correct, yeah. I mean, it is a great achievement, you know, with two, with the Cadigan brothers and Shane and Kieran's involvement as well. You know, it's a great achievement and something the club are obviously very proud of, you know, to be well represented in Croke Park on Sunday. Is there massive excitement around Douglas? There is massive excitement, Patricia, and if we had about 200 more tickets, it would even be better. Yeah, what is the scramble for tickets is tough, isn't it, this year? It is very tough. I mean, it's always tough to get a ticket for an All-Ireland final. But with half capacity, Patricia, it just makes it near, oh, let's say, next to impossible, you know. Yeah. But look, you do your best and you try and get them out to people. Yeah, you know? yeah that's it. Now, you're one of the three clubs that's involved in the fundraiser for Win a Gaff competition that we spoke about on the radio uh, a few weeks ago. But you've now added a pair of tickets to the final as an additional prize. That's correct, Patricia. We have an incentive. We'll be doing a draw today at five o'clock. And anybody who has gone online and bought a ticket on winagaff.ie will be included in a draw this evening. There will be two stand tickets and an overnight stay in Dublin for the All-Ireland final, wow. which is a lovely prize at this late stage now. It would make it for somebody, wouldn't it? Absolutely. So anyone who, who's already entered will be in the draw at five, but it does mean people now have a few hours in which to get a ticket, 
that'll ultimately could win you a house for €100, Euro, but you'll also be in with the draw, in chance for the draw at five o'clock. Yes, Patricia, you have it. You got it in one there. Anybody who has entered winnegaff.ie by five o'clock today will be included, obviously in the draw, possibly to win a house, but the incentive then by anyone in by five today will be in with the chance of a pair of stand tickets and an overnight stay. So some lucky punter is going to come out at five o'clock today for that a, prize. A really happy person. How can people buy uh, tickets this afternoon? It, all tickets are sold online and if people go to winnegaff.ie. Everything course, is online. This is the house you're giving away in Clonakilty, isn't it? Yes. Oh. A lovely house worth oh. 300,000. And Clonakilty, like what a place yeah. to win a Patricia, house. Patricia, on the western side of Clonakilty, within a stone's throw, places like Dunmore and Gallyhead, you know. Come here, how, are, how are tickets going? Tickets are going fine. We're tipping along, Patricia. Brilliant. We've been involved in this before and we, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Do you know okay, what I mean? That's it, that's it, and that's it. Like business, you have good days, you have bad days. Okay, winagaff.ie and the tickets are 100 euro. Winagaff.ie, tickets 100 euro and the draw is on uh, I'm from, no, that's, it, it's um, early to mid-November is yeah. the draw date actually, Patricia. Okay, thank you for that and good luck with it and good luck to everybody involved in Douglas GAA and everybody involved in the match on Sunday. Thanks for joining thank- us, Aidan. Thank you very much, Patricia. Bye-bye, bye-bye. 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 Uh, Aidan O'Connor, Chairman of Douglas GAA. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking in the last hour about the countdown to the All-Ireland uh, finals and we were also talking about the kind of, the, there was a bit of friendly banter going on between Cork and Limerick and particularly the mayors when they met on the county bounds uh, yesterday. So I was really disappointed to see here this. Mary contacted us to say her daughter lives in Anglesborough, which is in uh, County Limerick and she put out her Cork flag and it was stolen. Uh, Mary said it's only sport and it's a game. People should realise this and just enjoy the banter that goes on and it is a kind of a friendly rivalry. Got a really disappointed disappointed to hear that uh, Mary I hope she gets her flag replaced and uh, she puts another one out with great pride thank you for your call now number of calls and comments in about Covid vaccine certs and how some business premises are simply not looking for them and according to the rules and regulations you're not allowed indoor to go indoor dining unless you have a valid Covid certificate Nicola was on to us uh, to say what about this, what happens with people that she's aware of that have gone into a premises indoor dining using somebody else's Covid cert. She knows of one gentleman in particular who is an anti-vaxxer but yet wants to go uh, in indoor dining so he took somebody gave him a, a copy of their COVID certificate and when he went to the restaurant the restaurant asked him for photo ID to confirm that the name on the cert was actually this gentleman and obviously he couldn't produce the photo ID because the name on the cert wasn't his he then started to speak very loudly and started shouting said when since when do I need a passport to have a meal in the end the staff came under so much pressure they allowed him uh, to sit uh, down because he caused so much of a stir that's shocking and it's awful to think that staff and in the main young staff are having to deal with that kind of an attitude but listen there'll always be ignorant people out there and there isn't a lot that we can do about it for sure. Mary says Patricia you gave sound advice in the last hour about making extra copies if you only have a paper form of your EU COVID certificate but can I just add an additional piece of advice 
don't store all the photocopies with the original one. That's a sound piece of advice. Also, uh, your piece on Brown Thomas Christmas shopping open. I haven't even had a summer break yet, says uh, Mary. You're not alone in that, uh, Mary. And somebody else who wants to remain nameless because they've got a very uncommon name so they don't want to call it out on the radio, which is fine. I was recently at a venue in the city. We went there after a bereavement. To my amazement, none of the bereaved party were asked for a COVID certificate. None of the party were asked for telephone numbers for contact tracing and none of the party had a temperature check. check. Furthermore, the bar in question seems to be operating bar service, which I believe is against the rules and regulations. None of the staff behind the bar uh, who were walking are those walking around collecting empty glasses none of them were wearing masks myself and others at the table felt this was absolutely shocking only for the fact that we were in this establishment because it was the afters of a funeral that was the only reason we stayed we only stayed though about 20 minutes and we left which is probably the right thing uh, to do as well if you're feeling that nervous about it just uh, simply leave someone else uh, Mitchestown listener says I saw the owner of a restaurant walk walking around with no mask on. I've also been in a number of bars around Cork County. Many of them seem to be very relaxed. I've also been in bars in County Tipperary and it seems to be the same thing. I'm just totally shocked by this. And a West Cork listener says, I have never once been asked for my COVID vaccine certificate, even though obviously the listener has one. I've been out. I've been out for lunch. I've been out for dinner. I've been out for drinks. And not once have I been asked for my COVID uh, certificate? Wow. OK, and then listener looking for advice. My friend is travelling to Aberdeen to see her son. Does she need to have a COVID test at the airport, both here and in Aberdeen? Very slow to give you any advice when it comes to travel because each country and each jurisdiction are operating different rules and different uh, guidelines. So, And they can change. So I would suggest to anybody travelling, you first of all make sure you've got your COVID cert make sure you've got your up to date passport that's the only piece of advice foreign affairs is giving don't book your flight unless you have an up to date uh, passport then I would check in with the country that you're flying to to find out what are their rules and regulations because they vary some countries for example are accepting a COVID vaccine other countries are saying you need to have a COVID vaccine and you need to have a PCR test done in the 72 hours before you travel some airlines are insisting on a PCR test so it's impossible to give accurate and, and, and I'm always slow to give information in case it's the incorrect information and somebody goes on it and says, sure, one on the radio says it, so it must be true. So I would say to your friend to check in with Scotland to find out and then she needs to also check in the days leading up to her travelling to make sure that nothing has actually uh, changed. And then we've had people on about changing details on their COVID certificate. I use the, <coughs> I use the example of Marsha, my daughter, we needed to change her name because she's Maria on her passport. And somebody said, my name wasn't right either. It was Khan on my EU digital certificate, but my actual correct name is Cornelius. I had it changed online, got my new certificate within two days. And well done. It took about five days, I think, for Marsha's uh, to arrive. And then a couple of others are in on that uh, topic saying, uh, Anne is saying, hi, I'm Anne as in A-N-N-E on my passport, but on my vaccine cert, it is down as Anne as in A-N-N. How do I go about changing that? And someone else heard me mention it. John, John Finbar says, I missed your conversation. I was getting diesel. My friend has a different name on her passport. What advice would 
a different name on a COVID search or a passport what advice do you give how do you change it well it's, it's very simple you, do, you, you will need to have access to the internet if you go on to Google how to get your EU digital COVID certificate and it takes you through to a section on gov.ie then when you get onto gov.ie under the service how to get your EU digital COVID certificate scroll down through that section just very high up on the first page it says how to change the details on your cert are to get a copy emailed to you and then it gives you the, how to change the details of your name your surname or your date of birth then there's a button under that that says access service here so let's click on that and when you go into that it looks for your PPS number and it also looks for your mobile number then it will look for you to put in the certificate number that's on your search. That's why this particular form is of no use to the lady who lost her certificate because she doesn't have the number that's on it. So you have to put in the long number that's on your COVID certificate, the one with the wrong details. Then you have to fill in your four names, your surnames and your date of birth as they appear on the current search that you have in your hand. And then they give you a section which part of that you wish to update and then you can change either your Christian name, your surname or your date of birth because for some people, yes, we found out the date of birth was actually wrong. Then they look for an email address, they look you to confirm your email address and then you can simply hit send and off it goes and they will email it back to you but you can only get it back by email. That's the, you have to have a, a, an email address an up-to-date email account as well. So it's quite simple to do. But literally just go in and Google how to get your EU digital COVID cert and it will bring you to the gov.ie website, which is a huge website and it's under their, under one of their services. They're very simple procedure uh, in which to do it. 1850-333-103. Marion says, Patricia, could you please give a mention that Middleton GAA drive-in bingo goes ahead this evening but at the earlier starting time of 7pm. So that's Middleton GAA drive-in bingo tonight, 7pm. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative. The perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. And as part of Heritage Week, Mitchestown Library are hosting a fun window expo of town culture and family history and it runs through until tomorrow, uh, Saturday. Uh, Also for Heritage Week tomorrow, Saturday, Seamus Fox of Irish Family Search will lead a walking tour of Mitchellstown. It features cultural sites, folklore and family history. It's from 11.30am in the morning until 1.30. The starting point is Clongibbon House Hotel on New Square. And historical events are taking place in McCroom for Heritage uh, Week. People are asked to meet this Sunday at the former Church of Ireland on Castle Street in McCroom for events in the afternoon between 2 and 4.30. Pre-booking though is required 086 87 89 And Castletown Bear Development Association drive-in bingo tonight, 8 o'clock the Bearer Coast Hotel car park jackpot €1,200 in 47 calls are less and Kildarri have their next drive in bingo tonight 8 o'clock that's in the Creamery Yard Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie and as we're talking about COVID certificates a listener says hi I got vaccinated last January I'm a healthcare worker still haven't got my COVID certificate <laughs> excuse me I tried ringing <clears throat> 
and can't get through. Uh, you can also go to that COVID portal that I spoke about on gov.ie and they have a section, check the status of my digital COVID cert. And you'll be able to put in your date of birth, your email address, your PPS number, and they will issue with a COVID certificate. So that's on the COVID certificate portal at gov.ie. OK, time for us to do our Cork versus uh, COVID. And today it is all about the run up to the All-Ireland final. Michael Hogan has one look at the watch. Now is the moment. Now is surely the moment. And Cork in the All-Ireland final. Cork overcame the challenge of Kilkenny after extra time in their All-Ireland semi-final. This year's final is an all-monster affair. Cork and Limerick will meet in the decider on Sunday in Crow Park. Here's Cork manager Kieran Kingston. They want to go and they want to represent Cork in a real, real honest fashion. And that's all I can ask of them. To give give of your all when you take to the field on behalf of the players who've with you, the cock hurling, the public cock hurling public, the jersey you're wearing, and, and play it with pride. And if they give us a performance that, that reflects those things, I'll be happy. It is a busy week for Cork GA. The first of three All Ireland hurling titles is in the bag after Cork's under 20s retained their crown with an emphatic win over Galway on Wednesday night. The minor footballers have an All Ireland semi final clash with Tyrone and Tullamore on Saturday afternoon, followed by the minor hurlers in a final with Galway and Hurlis that evening. Sunday afternoon sees the Cork senior hurlers take on Limerick. Ryan O'Sullivan, who works in Cummins Sports in the city centre, says Cork jerseys have been flying out the door. It's been skyrocketing really ever since they won it's been amazing really it's good for a store as well they can go for commons Simply Suits has been busy organising suits for players management and the executive director Andrew says it has been a busy few days we preempted a lot of it like when they were approaching semis we knew that there was a chance that they'd get through so you can do a certain amount of groundwork as to what's going to be available from what suppliers and you know, you can get a list of the panel, you'd have an idea of the panel as to what kind of sizes that you might need and check availability and that kind of thing. So we had some of the the, the donkey work done in and around the time of the semis and then it's a case of when they get through to pull the trigger. You know, with the seniors this year, obviously there's usually a bigger lead time coming into it. It's usually about a four-week lead time, whereas this year it was only two. So it was a case of Monday of last week, running around to different suppliers all over the country, seeing what they had and then physically going and collecting them because we didn't really have time to wait on deliveries to come in. I mean, every every hour mattered, really. Glen Rovers clubman Patrick Horgan will captain Cork on Sunday. Obviously, Limerick being, being favourites doesn't phase them either because they're such a good team and they've been favourites for every game they've played and for the last three or four years. So that's a tag that they're obviously used to for us. Um, we'll be underdogs, but... As I say, on the day, it's all on the day we're hurling. Um, you see, like, we had six points up, but we were six points up on Kilkenny. In blink of an eye, it was a draw, like, and you just don't know what's going to happen on a day when, especially these days, playing hurling. So we'll just see what happens uh, and just adapt if we can. Glen Rovers chairperson Liam Martin says the club is very proud. We have, you know, a history and tradition of producing Cork winning captains. I think if Cork win on Sunday, ironically, Patrick, it'll be the eighth time that the club have had a captain of a winning Cork All-Ireland team. So, you know, we're just hoping and certainly very proud of Patrick for his contribution to Cork over a long number of years. And we just hope everything goes well for him and indeed his colleagues and everyone associated with Cork All-Ireland.
And thanks to uh, Mairead for our Cork versus uh, COVID uh, slot. Um, apologies. <laughs> I got coffee caught in the back of my throat just <laughs> about to go live for the last week. So my apologies there, uh, particularly when I was trying to give advice to the listener who is a healthcare worker and doesn't have a cert. You can check the status of your digital certificate on the gov.ie. Um, it's under the COVID certificate portal. They look for your first name, your last name, your date of birth, your PPS number. You need to give an email address and confirm an email address obviously and then they verify your details against the details they have on file file, and then they should issue with your certificate but somebody has come back in to say to that person who is working if that person is working with the HSE uh, please advise the healthcare worker not to use their HSE email address as they're rejecting those on the gov.ie website so use a, you know a, a Gmail or some other account uh, instead thank you for that piece of information because I wasn't aware of uh, that with regard to flags when Cork play Waterford in big matches Cork flags that are close to the border are always pulled down it's just so child and I also know of Waterford people who will be shouting for Limerick on Sunday, says uh, Mick. Okay, and on I oh this is um, a listener in Kilkenny, uh, who obviously is looking forward to the match as well on uh, Sunday. Uh, says I'm a regular at my bar, and at the weekend, the first time we went back in once COVID certificates when we were allowed indoor hospitality, we were asked for our COVID certificate. But now when we go back every weekend, they don't look for the COVID certificate again, but they do look for contact tracing. And yeah, and I think that's the same in most places as well. And then somebody else was in um, an establishment in in a cafe in. West Cork yesterday and on my way to the bathroom I noticed the staff in the kitchen preparing food and none of them were wearing a mask how is that allowed surely when you I have no idea if you're working in kitchens are you, do you is there a need for mask wearing all the time that you're preparing food I don't know 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Cork today on C103 Which- if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. The movie review on C103 with the Cinemax Bantry. Get back to the real cinematic experience. And Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joining us on this miserable uh, Friday afternoon. Cinema is the place to go, certainly on a day like today. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Now, you went along to see F9, which is the Fast Saga. And then you also went along to see a movie, which I've got two titles in front of me, uh, Far Away Eyes and Hereafter. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to, first of all, just play a quick trailer from F9, the Fast Saga. No one outruns their past. And mine just caught up to me. Been a long time, down, Little brother. My brother is about to hurt a lot of people. Brother against brother. This should be interesting. If we don't go out, we go out together. Now, what's this all about? The Fast Saga. This is a Vin Diesel. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You ask me what it's about. Well, I tell you what it's about. It's about a number of action sequences and talking between them. It's say, sorry. Say that again. <laughs> say that again. <laughs> it's a it's a film that has a lot of action sequences with talking in between. That's what um, this film is all about. Because it doesn't make any difference. Who uh, cares? Is, it, is there know. is there a storyline at all? There's a basic kind of storyline about, uh, you know, uh, Cypher, who is played by Charlize Theron in this very, very kind of weird kind of pudding bowl haircut. <laughs> looks like Mo out. <laughs> looks like Mo Howard, if you remember Mo. I do. Um, yeah. And uh, Mo Curley and uh, the other one. And uh, so, yeah, she looks very, very odd. Anyway, she's got access to this piece of equipment that can take over the world. And so, therefore, they've got to go after her to try and retrieve this piece of equipment so that she doesn't do that. Apparently, that is the story, but it doesn't make any difference, Trisha. It doesn't. I mean, if you've seen, have you seen any of these, by the way? No, I mean, they're, they're exactly like something that just doesn't appeal to me at all. Exactly, yeah. I mean, this is the ninth one. But actually, there was kind of ten because there was a spin-off called uh, Hobbs and Shaw some years ago. And so, therefore, I've seen all of these. But if you were to try and tell me to pinpoint certain things from all of those movies, I wouldn't be able to tell you because they've all kind of blended into one over the years. And when it first started, uh, the first film, I didn't really like the first film very much. I didn't like all the macho posturing of these boys who basically all wanted to drive cars really, really fast. I thought the film was kind of sexist. and I thought it just didn't appeal to me at all, and I didn't enjoy it. And, um, and so over the years, we've gotten to this one now, where basically they've become super spies. And uh, I know they travel all over the world, just kind of creating kind of absolute mayhem. And so, you know, if you compare the first to this film, I mean, there's nothing in common at all whatsoever. And this kind of happened uh, kind of constantly over the nine films where they just got more and more ridiculous as time went on. I do remember five, though. I thought five was really, really pretty good. And that was when they introduced uh, Dwayne Johnson at The Rock. He made an appearance in that film. I actually thought that one was really good. Remember very little about six, seven, and eight, apart from one scene in one of the films where they outrun 
a torpedo, which was fired <laughs> by a submarine in front of As their cars. And I just remember thinking, this is getting just completely ludicrous. It's getting over. It's getting ridiculous now. And if you want to kind of, and how do you top ridiculous by being just completely over the top and ridiculous altogether, where it just doesn't now make any sense. But it doesn't seem to matter. That's not what these films now have become. That's not what it's all about. The reality of what a body is capable of doing. The reality of the laws of physics just doesn't mean anything anymore. They just don't care. And in fact, one of the um, one of the characters in the film constantly references to the fact that they've been on all these adventures, they've got, uh, you know, and they've never, ever been hurt. He, as he said, I've, I've never even had a scratch. So therefore, maybe we are superheroes. And if that's the case, and if they're playing with us and they're, they're kind of, they're stepping out of the fourth wall almost saying just tell us that look we know these films are ridiculous we know it's rubbish but we're still going to make them anyway because there's an awful lot of money to be made out there and if that's the case then look then just do anything you want you know what I mean become superheroes get capes fly yeah uh, you know, yeah well at least it would make it a little bit more realistic if they were superheroes exactly so, so there's, there's no sense and touch of realism to this film at all it's a nonsense it really is from start to finish and um, and the thing is that well if that's the case then give somebody a wand and let them become a Harry Potter then you know what I mean but the problem is is that the, the film when it did manage to get to the cinemas did uh, kind of take some money and so therefore they're going to make uh, a Fast and Furious 10 you would wonder <laughs> where they will go to from now because some of the stuff that happens in this film is just absolutely extraordinary and as I say that just the laws of physics don't make, make, make any difference whatsoever they bodies are smashed up, they fall, uh, you know, they're run over. It doesn't make any difference. They just get back up again. I mean, there's a scene where John Cena picks up uh, Vin Diesel and smashes his head through a, a wall, which is about, it's about a foot thick. And he's like, oh, I just went through a wall. Uh, there's a scene where Michelle Rodriguez is hit by a car. She flies 20 feet in the air. She lands on the bonnet of a car and gets back up as if nothing's happened. So they're playing with us constantly all the time. And it's a shame because the director here, Justin Lin, also did make five, which I did like. And he's a terrific director. He really is. But he's involved in the screenplay here. Uh, but I got the impression that, you know, the screenplay was written by a bunch of kids sitting around going, how ridiculous can we get? And how stupid can these movies get? And But still laugh about it and go, we're going to put it in anyway because they, they just don't care anymore. They don't care that the films don't make any sense. There's lots of money to be made. So basically what they're making now is a cartoon. So like before I saw it, my daughter saw it before me. She said, Dad, don't watch it. You're not going to like it unless you can turn your brain off. Now I'm willing to do that with a lot of films, but I found it very, very difficult to do this. I think they've overstepped the mark here. Uh, the, the last quarter has a scene. Now, if anybody knows anything, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it, but if anybody knows anything about the film, there's a vague reference to it in a trailer. But they do something with a car which is so ridiculous and so over the top, it's now become a joke. And it's almost like an in-joke where they're laughing at us for spending money to go and renting or going to see these films in the cinema. And I just thought it was just one big lump of nonsense. OK, well, Bernard in Glamour is agreeing with you and says, even by Fast and Furious standards, this is a bad, bad movie. There was no pl- plot and particularly bad dialogue. So somebody else agreeing with you. So uh, F9, the Fast Saga Mark it out of 10. Can you even give it a mark? Uh, yeah, but yes, I will, because as I say, some of the action sequences are great. And at, at times you're like, yeah, this is great. When it makes sense, it was fabulous. Unfortunately, 99% of it was rubbish. So, um, but I will, I'll give it four, maybe. And the wonderful Helen Mirren is even in it. Yeah, it's only a small part, though. Not She's hardly in it yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. I love Helen I mean, the thing is, 
at least the, the, the difference in this film compared to the last film, and Michelle Rodriguez gave um, gave out about the, the kind of natural posturing of the previous film. So at least here, at least the, the female characters are given more to do, and I mean, at least that's a good thing. Uh, but it is nonsense; it really is. Okay, and I'm confused here because your second movie uh, is down as Hereafter, but John Paul tells me it's called Far Away Eyes. There's a, there's a European title and an American title, is it? Uh, yeah, if you go on to um, IMDb, uh, the film is called Hereafter, and it says original title of Faraway Eyes. So, oh. uh, yeah, for some reason they changed it. I don't know why. Um, I downloaded it from the Play Store, and it was called Faraway Eyes here, even though Hereafter is a better title. Um, so the film is basically about this man who's a kind of part-time actor. He's not the nicest man in the world. He's had problems with kind of relationships, and he gets involved in a car crash. Um, when he wakes up, he realizes he's dead. And um, so he's in this kind of middle world between kind of earth and heaven where he meets Christine Ricci. Uh, and she's basically kind of the go-between between him and heaven. We've kind of seen that before. We saw it in Heaven and Wait. Where heaven uh, uh, can wait a few years ago. For example, James Mason played a kind of a very, very similar character. The interesting thing is that she turns to him and says, no, you can't go to heaven uh, because you never found your soulmate. Which is a nonsense. I mean, that's the first thing, this whole concept that because you're single, because you've never fallen in love, so that, you can't go to heaven. That's ridiculous. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That's a nonsense. Yeah. But of course, obviously, somebody thought it was a kind of a lovely kind of romantic kind of trope and that, that that's what we revolve this film around. Not well nonsense. So basically, she says, says to him, look, we're going to send you back to Earth again, and but you'll go back as a ghost. And so therefore, you may then, before you get to the stage where you just disappear, uh, in that intervening time, you'll be able to maybe find your soulmate, come back with her, and go to heaven. So he goes back to Earth as a ghost to kind of look for love. And while he's there, he meets up with other ghosts. And um, there's a kind of a sequence um, where basically he meets all of these women who are also looking for their soulmate as well. It's not a very nice sequence, actually. And this was there. There's a kind of a level of sexism running through this film where basically all the women were just portrayed as complete idiots. And the film was almost hinting at the fact that one of the reasons why these women haven't found their soulmates is because of the, their behavior and the kind of people that they are. And and that was a nonsense, and that kind of annoyed me. There's also a scene where he meets another ghost uh, played by Michael Spoli here. And he basically spends all his day drinking whiskey and hanging around women's dressing rooms just watching them naked walk past. And there's a scene which kind of, it was almost like from an 80s sex comedy where there's all this kind of full frontal nudity. Whilst the boys talk about these women's bottoms in a really kind of sleazy, weird kind of a way. I'm thinking, what, where, where are we? You know, why, why would a scene like that now be acceptable? It's very, very strange. He does finally find a woman who he thinks might be his soulmate, but then what happens is the film turns into ghosts. So he's almost like Patrick Swayze uh-huh. running about. And it's very, very strange. It's very, very silly. It reminded me kind of of, uh, you know, those kind of true kind of romance movies that you see on TV uh, a lot. It reminded me of one of those. But at least the production values of those films was kind of better than this. Uh, I didn't like it. I thought it was a nonsense. It's two hours long, which is about a half an hour, way too long. Uh, some of the reviews I read, though, I mean, the critics didn't like it at all. The critics said it was nonsense. But a lot of people said, look, well, I thought it was really lovely and romantic. And there are those and maybe some people who might see it as romantic. I just thought it was dull and boring and silly. I didn't like the... Um, the main actor, his name is Andy Carl. I didn't think he was very good. In fact, most of the performances weren't. You know, if you want to see movies like this, then you know, uh, you know, go to those kind of movie channels uh, that uh, kind of show all this kind of stuff, like those Hallmark channels. And there, it's ten times way better than this thing. Unfortunately, yeah, it was a huge disappointment. Yeah, because when you started talking about the storyline, I straight away thought of Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore in in Ghost, and I loved that movie. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be one of those, but it obviously well, I love isn't. Ghost as well. I think Ghost is a great movie. I yeah. love it. I think it's terrific. Yeah, 
Uh, but this is kind of a poor relation. Look, I know it's a low-budget film and it's small, but I mean, this is considered to be a feature rather than a TV movie. But a lot of those TV movies on the Hallmark Channel are way better than yeah, this thing. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't like it at all. So Far Away Eyes, Marketed at 10, or Hereafter? Uh, Christi- uh, yeah, Christina Ricci, I thought was pretty good in it, so I'll give her two. Two. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't had a great week this week. Thank you for that, Mark. Uh, enjoy your week and we'll chat to you next Friday. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. The movie review on C103 with the Cinemax Bantry. Get back to the real cinematic experience. Now, the guys from our traffic department have been on to tell us that a pedestrian has been knocked down near John Banks Tyres in Turner's Cross. And Moses are asked to please take care in the area. So hopefully that pedestrian will be okay. But I think it's also a timely reminder for everyone to please be very careful because there's been a lot of rain this morning. There's still uh, rain out and about. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of slippery surfaces as well. So please drive with extreme uh, care. Now, on the Cork match. Kathleen Hurley on Sawmill Street in the city centre is a huge, huge Cork GAA fan has been on to us this morning to say she's nervous for the weekend ahead but she feels it has given the city a real lift. Best of luck to all of the players and she will be tuned in to John Cashman's commentary here on C103. That's always a great way to watch if you want to watch it on the TV but turn the sound down and to get John's uh, commentary and and, um, uh, he backed up by uh, Tom Kenny giving him the big match analysis it's always great and John just makes everything sound so so exciting and Joe and Charleville was on uh, to say he's another big Cork uh, supporter and a big listener to us here at C103 he actually made the news last night he was on RTE News last night singing the banks on TV I think I spotted you Joe uh, well done Sam this is on your Covid certificate Sam says I was in this in a city hospital yesterday and they asked me was I vaccinated I said I was says, says our Sam he said I wasn't asked to produce my COVID vaccine certificate uh, I could have been anyone and I could have been lying and saying I was vaccinated when I wasn't I feel hospitals should be asking for the certs and I had a I was off on Wednesday John Paul said in for me I had a hospital appointment and I'm just saying I wasn't asked for uh, did I was I so I don't think all hospitals are doing that asking people if they are vaccinated or not but anyway Sam reckons that hospitals should start to do that as well and Joe in Dunmanway on the listener who spotted somebody in a kitchen in a cafe they walked past you know heading out to the toilets and noticed that nobody was wearing masks inside in the kitchen and I was saying is that are, are masks inside in kitchens parts of the rules and regulations I don't know uh, Joe says of course mask wearing should be happening in kitchens. A cough or a sneeze over my freshly prepared salad? No thank you. Covid hasn't gone away. Joe says we don't eat out at the moment for obvious reasons. Nice home cooking. I find it's way cheaper as well. Have people noticed that the price for eating out has gone through the roof? Says Joe in Dumanway. Well I think everyone knew when indoor dining came back that it was going to go up and I think people expected that they were going to be paying more Uh, and I don't really mind paying a little bit more for the businesses you know that have God Almighty have struggled so hard after the last year and a half. What I completely detest if I feel I'm being ripped off. That's the one thing that really annoys me. But I think most people have noticed the prices have have gone up. But if there's just a reasonable amount it has gone up, I, that's OK. But to, please don't rip me off uh, for sure. Now, I want to sign off a couple of minutes earlier than I normally do because I want to play The Banks. It's the only song that we can end up with uh, today. And so many people asking us to play it. And I think it's Tony's 
Stevens's, uh, Tony Stevens' version of the banks that we're going to uh, play out on uh, today and to wish both of the Cork teams, both the minor and the senior team, all the best of luck and to let them know we will be cheering loud and proud for them across the weekend. Thanks to John Paul for producing. Uh, Nick Richards with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you hopefully celebrating the wins on Monday. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.